Welcome to Growing in Grace with Pastor Victor Morrison. This is a ministry of First Baptist Church located at 1700 Milam Street, Columbus, Texas. We are praying that God will bless you as you listen to this message. If you would like additional information on worship times and ministries at FBC Columbus, you can find out more at our website, fbccolumbustx.org. And now, take your copy of God's Timeless Word as Pastor Victor gives today's message. Welcome back to Growing in Grace. If you were to pick someone from the past that really has had impact on you, who would you pick? You know who I'd pick? I don't even know if you've heard of this man. Have you ever heard of a man named John Harper? He was born into a Christian family in Scotland back in 1872. When he was 13 years old, someone shared the gospel with John Harper via John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. When he heard that, it was good news to his soul. So he became a Christian that day. He turned from his sins, placed his faith in Christ. He began to follow the Lord. At 18 years of age, he claimed that he saw a vision of a cross over his town. And so he began to have an intense burden for outreach. That's what we're going to talk about today. There was a man who lived during the time of John Harper. He was an evangelist named W.D. Dunn. He said that often when he would come and preach in their church, that the young man, John Harper, would be at the altar weeping over souls that still did not know Christ. And he said, one time I overheard him say, give me souls or I die. That's passion. He continued to grow. And by the time he was 32 years of age, he almost drowned. The ship that he was uh, sailing on through the Mediterranean, it sank. So afterwards, uh, it's recorded in an interview. They asked him, were you scared, Mr. Harper? And he said, no, not for one minute of fear, because since I know Christ, sudden death means sudden glory. Well, about um, maybe three years later or so, he spent three months preaching a revival at Moody Bible Church in Chicago, Illinois. They really enjoyed it, and God used him in a powerful way, so they invited him back the next year. In 1912, he was uh, on his way to Chicago. He was going to sail on a ship to the United States called the Lusitania, but instead he switched at the last minute and got on another ship called the Titanic. You can probably guess the end of this story. The night before the Titanic sank, Harper was seen on the deck leading a man to Christ. Another survivor recalled overhearing Harper pleading with the crew that night after the ship struck the massive iceberg and saying to the crew, please let women and children and the unsaved get into the lifeboats. The last report of Harper was given by a survivor who saw him give his life vest away and in the water, he was still trying to tell some man that he was floating beside something about a Philippian jailer who was desperate, who said, what must I do to be saved? And the survivor said, if I'm not mistaken, I believe that man became a Christian right there in that icy water. But then 
Harper was never seen again. The White Star office in Liverpool, England, listed all the updates of the status of passengers that were on the Titanic that fateful night. But as news came in, they would update these these two different categories. I think it was like a chalkboard out on the porch. So on one chalkboard had the title, Known to be Saved. On the other chalkboard, Known to be Lost. It was strange that Harper's name, John Harper, a man who was born again, was on the lost list, but he was only lost on this earth. He was saved because he was in heaven. I want you to track with me today as we follow Jesus. Jesus had a great heart for those who were not yet believers. And one of those was a man named Levi. He was more than likely a hated man, despised man, because he was a tax collector. I want us to look at Mark chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. Let me read through this, and then I want to challenge you. Would you be like John Harper? Would you be like, let's say, Jesus, and try to win someone else to Christ? Here's what it says in Mark chapter 2, verse 13. Jesus went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And he passed by. He saw Levi the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he arose and followed him. And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Let's talk about outreach. What kinds of things should we put into our outreach? The first thing I would recommend following the master's example here, is intentionality. Intentionality. I think that's something that we should put into our outreach. It says in verse 13 that Jesus went out again beside the sea. I like that word again because it suggests that Jesus didn't stop. He didn't quit evangelism just because some people didn't receive him. No, he just kept going. You know, it's interesting, too, because he had just led a man to faith just before this passage. In Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, there was a man who was a paralytic, and that man went away joyful at how the Lord changed his life. But here it says also that he went out. Jesus went out. Where did he go out of? Well, he went out of uh, Simon Peter and uh, Andrew's house. This was their place in Capernaum. And it says that he went out of that house, out there beside the sea. You know, if we're going to reach anyone, we do have to leave our house, right? Many are outside of our building. They're outside of our homes, but they're also outside of our church building. And so we have to go to where they are. You know, that's why I think he went beside the sea. I think he intentionally wanted to go and be 
where the people were. Where are the people where you live? Capernaum was a lake town, lots of fishermen. So I'm sure that that's where a lot of people were gathered. So Jesus wanted to be where they were because he wanted to reach out to other people. The first thing I would recommend that you place into your outreach is try some intentionality. Make it a purpose of yours. I want to break out of my normal routine so that I can be around some other people that don't know Christ. The second thing I would recommend, in addition to intentionality, is inspiration. How about inspiration for your outreach? What inspires you to want to share the gospel with someone else? Well, it says, and all the crowd was coming to him. I like that coming to him. You know, if we have a vision of other people going to Christ, not just necessarily coming to us. I admit it's exciting whenever someone new visits our church. We're we're excited about that. But you know what can really get us excited about sharing the gospel is whenever we're thinking, I want to see people come to Christ. That's who I want them to follow, not necessarily me. It even helps us to partner with other Great Commission Christians and say, you know what? Together, we can win more people than we can alone. But then the word crowds stood out to me also. Have you ever been in a church building where it was crowded? You know, have you ever seen sometimes where people, you know, it's like we're creatures of habit, right? So we have this desire that we're going to sit uh, in the same location every single Sunday. There's nothing wrong with that. But whenever there's a crowd, well, sometimes we have to make adjustments. Would you be willing to adjust a normal routine, a normal location, perhaps a normal seat, if someone new were to come and visit your church? I think it's worth pondering because crowds have a way of, well, it crowds us out of our our normal place. But then I like the word all. It says all the crowds. I like that because, you see, I think that when Jesus died on the cross and his arms were open wide, I believe he had his arms open for all ages, for all races, for all types of people, people that have been raised in the country, people that have been raised in the city, people with with just tremendous education, lots of qualifications, and people who really, they've not had opportunities in schools or universities or graduate schools and so forth. All types of people, all types of business people or people that are still looking for jobs. What about this one? All types of pasts. You know, everybody's got a past. Are we going to hold that over someone's head because they made some very serious mistakes? You know, I, I think it's interesting that it says that all the crowd was coming to him. I don't see Jesus chasing anybody away there. The inspiration you're looking for could be simple. Why don't you say, Lord, I'd like to see him just come to you. I'd like to see more people come to you. I would like to see everybody, no matter who they are, come to you. I have a third thing I'd like to recommend that you place in your outreach. How about instruction? It says that Jesus was teaching them. Well, that's what he was doing. He was teaching them. Now, to be honest, in the normal routine, the normal pace of daily life, More than likely, we don't have time, and people don't have time, 
for us to talk to them a whole lot. So you know what I've done? All my ministry, I've tried to put within people's hearts the idea of finding one verse, one verse that seems to say what they want to share with other people about Christ. For example, well, let's take John Harper. All he heard was John 3.16. That was enough. That could be one. Or how about Romans 6.23? For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. You know, I had volunteer teams come to Japan to help us on mission trips, and they took that one verse, and they would diagram it on a small card and give it to the Japanese people, and they would share then the gospel just through that one verse. When I go to Ethiopia, most times when I'm in the marketplace and the people are busy shopping, I just take John 14, 6, where Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. There's so many wonderful verses that if you just had time for one verse, let's say your friend is in a hurry, family members are gathered at your house, but you only have a, a brief moment for conversation, what verse would you choose? Well, those are good. How about 1 John 5, 13, 1 Peter 3, 18, Titus 3, 5, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9? There's so many. But find a verse that seems to say exactly what you want to emphasize about your Savior and share that verse. You know, it's great to care about people and to let people know that you're there for them. But my evangelism professor at Southwestern Seminary, one of them, his name was Dr. Roy Fish. Dr. Fish had a way of always describing what he was trying to get us to do in such a vivid way. One time he said, when I was younger, I was a lifeguard. He said, what would it be like if I'm sitting up on my perch and out there in the distance, I see someone going under? They're they're going under, they're coming back up. They can barely yell, but they're saying, help, help, help. And they're waving their hands in the air and they're going going down. So what would it be like for them if I suddenly climb down off of the perch, I run as fast as I can to the water, I swim out to them, and instead of rescuing them, I say to them, hello, friend, I'm here. I want you to know you're not in this alone. It looks like it's a traumatic episode going on in your life right now, but I want you to know that I've been through something similar. I'm here. So just know that I'm here for you. Wow, that's not quite enough, right? Wouldn't it be better to take like one of those things that the lifeguards swim out there with to give them something to keep them afloat or to just get your arms underneath their uh, arms and to bring them back to safety? So all I'm saying is there should be something in addition to our love something in addition to compassion, and something in addition even to our presence. We ought to say, this is the gospel of Jesus Christ. How about this? I think insight, or you could use the word impression, but insight into your outreach. You know, verse 14 says, and as Jesus passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. As he passed by, he saw Levi. You know, sometimes I think we don't notice people. I believe Jesus noticed people. When he passed by that tax booth, I think when he looked in there, he saw an unhappy man sitting at that tax booth. 
Perhaps that man had been rejected by most of the people that passed by that day. Maybe everybody who looks in his tax office always makes a grimace. They growl at him, maybe. I don't know. But Jesus cared, and that's why he noticed. I think something similar must have taken place in the Gospel of John, chapter 4 and verse 4. It says that Jesus had to pass through Samaria. Why did he have to pass through Samaria? Most Jews at that time didn't pass through Samaria. He had to pass through Samaria because there was a woman sitting at a well who had gone through a lot of broken marriages, and I wonder if her heart was breaking. She needed to hear about salvation, and so Jesus went through Samaria so he could sit at that well in Sychar and share the gospel. There was a man named Philip who ran up to an Ethiopian treasurer who was returning home in a chariot. He didn't understand what he was reading in God's word, but he was trying. He had a portion of Isaiah that he was trying to make his way through. And how did Philip know he should share with that man? Well, Acts 8, 29 says, And the Spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. I don't know about you, but the chariot would have to stop if I'm going to share with that man, because I'm not a fast runner, but I would give it my best if the Holy Spirit called me to do it. But then there's another guy, not just Philip. Oh, no, this is Peter. Peter, how did Peter ever get to where he knew he was supposed to go over there to share the gospel with a Roman soldier of all people named Cornelius? Well, Acts 10, verses 19 to 20 says that the Spirit said to him, rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation. You see, God had already prepared the heart of Cornelius and he sent his servants to go look for Peter. And so now God was trying to say to Peter, you need to go for I'm in this. That's pretty significant, I think. What is it going to take for you to have this sense that, okay, this is something I need to do? Are you noticing the people that are all around you. I just encourage you to to open your eyes and to look at them. The other thing I wanted to say is to give them a chance. How about extending an invitation? Jesus says to Levi, follow me. And he rose and followed him. That's amazing. You know, Jesus is just simply extending an invitation to Levi. And it wasn't complicated, was it? I know sometimes we say, I don't know how to do that stuff. Well, all he said was, follow me. How about we just say, would you be willing to follow Christ? (laughs) It doesn't have to be hard. You see, God didn't make human beings as robots or puppets. That's why we, we need an invitation. People need to know they're welcome to come if they would like. You know, later, Mark tells us in Mark chapter 10, verses 17 to 22, that Jesus extended the same kind of invitation to another guy. This guy had, well, let's say lots of wealth. But anyway, all he said was, follow me. And he said, "He said, well, you do need to sell all you have, give to the poor, and then follow me. The man was disheartened, it says. He went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Once again, an invitation was extended. Not everyone says yes. Some say no. Who should we extend an invitation to? I have another recommendation for you, just based on this passage. How about insiders? Aren't we talking about outreach? 
Yeah, but I think what I'm trying to say is who's already in your life? They're already in there. You see them. I remember Oscar Thompson wrote a book one time called Concentric Circles of Concern, Concentric Circles for Outreach. So what we have to do is say, who's in my life right now? Listen to what it says in verse 15 carefully. And as Jesus reclined at table in Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. Wow. You see, Levi started with the people he knew. Who did you know, Levi? If you were to interview him in heaven someday, who did you know? He would say, well, the only guys I knew were tax collectors. That's the only people that hang around me. And if they weren't tax collectors, then everybody else called them sinners. Wow. But whenever they were in the house, remember, where did Jesus start in Galilee? He started in Capernaum. How did he pick Capernaum? Why did he pick Capernaum? Well, that was where two of his disciples lived, Simon and Andrew. It was their house, remember? You know, it's interesting how Mark picks up on this. I didn't catch it in other Gospels, but if you read carefully through the Gospel of Mark, I think you'll be able to discover there were eight home meetings that are sprinkled throughout the Gospel of Mark. You see, we can begin with the people we know. When Jesus was about to send his disciples out on a a mission trip, he said, do not go house to house. I want you to look for a man of peace and start with that man and let that man introduce you to those that he knows. That's how we start with the insiders that we already know. It may take some innovation. You know, I think that what Jesus did here If you read verse 16, it says, And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, well, you know the rest of the story, right? Well, they didn't like it. You know, sometimes we can get cut when we're taking the gospel to the cutting edge. It's really fine and comfortable for everybody if we'll just stay put. But when you start trying to reach out there to people on the cutting edge, Some people don't like it, but I think we have to stretch. We have to be innovative. We have to say, what have we not tried yet? Is there a form of technology? Is it sports? What about a clothing clothing ministry to where we give clothes to those who are in need or a food pantry? What about a drama production? You know, one time in our small community, we did a drama production at the high school uh, auditorium. It was called Heaven's Gates, Hell's Flames. You won't believe it. Ninety-something people made decisions to trust Christ. It blew us away. Another time we had a great success was doing Paid For You. We would take $1,000. We would go and sort of uh, reserve one pump at at the gas station, and we would just give people free gas while we're pumping $10 worth of free gas into each car. We did 100 cars. While we would be doing that, one person would be there having a conversation, just telling them, why are we giving you gas? Because God wants to give you eternal life through his son, Jesus Christ. Man, look for a way that's outside the box to try to make sure that other people can come to know Christ. I guess the main thing here that I see modeled by Jesus, you could call it incarnational outreach. 
because it says these, these Pharisees were upset and they said, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? You know, the best way to reach people is to spend time with them. Let them know you care about them. You want to hang around them. They know that you genuinely care. That's why Jesus came to this earth, because he genuinely cares for us. That's why he wanted to come down here where we live. 2 Corinthians 2, 14 through 16, says something very unique. You know what it says that we are? Every Christian is, we are like this dispenser of a fragrance, the fragrance of Christ. Now, I know that you may be like me, a man, and you're thinking, hey, I'm manly. I don't want to have a fragrance. But all I'm saying is people will know that you belong to Christ. And so I'm just thinking if we're just with them, it's going to be powerful. Another thing I, I heard in Jesus' words when he explained to them, he said, look, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. You know what he was looking at? He was looking at their spirit. They didn't, they didn't know the Father. They didn't have the Spirit inside them. They had not experienced salvation. And so really, even though maybe they had a designer robe, maybe they lived in one of the nice houses there in Capernaum, he knew these guys still don't know the Lord. They had a good position maybe with the tax, tax office, but they didn't know the Lord. Don't be faked out by things like designer clothing, new cars, latest smartphone, big smiles. You know, Brandon Heath wrote a song several years ago. I really, that song always touched me. In the song, there are several lines that really got my attention. He said, give me your eyes so I can see everything that I keep missing. Give me your love for humanity. Give me your arms for the brokenhearted. Give me your heart for the ones forgotten. There's so many good words in that song. But what it reminds me of is, really, the Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So just remember, spiritually, it's like they're really sick and they need the Lord. They may be great people. They may have tremendous opportunities in life in terms of their job, in what they own and possess and so forth. But don't be faked out. If they don't have Christ, there's something huge that's missing in their life. Jesus said, that's who I'm called to. He says, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. You know, I thought about that. To, to call out someone who's in their sin, to trust Christ, it's almost like an interruption, isn't it? Yeah, I remember hearing a, a man, he came and preached at our seminary, and he said, you know, to share the gospel is to bother people. <laughs> wow. It bothers people when you say, it's not okay the way you are right now. But things can be so, so okay. They can be better than okay if you'll just come to know Christ. You see, there's an urgency to the gospel. There's an urgency to outreach where we have to say, even if it bothers somebody for me to tell them that in their sin, they're separated from God, but they can be reconciled to the Father through the Son. It's worth it. I'll never forget being in Colorado Springs. I was there to uh, speak as a missionary, and I was over on one side of the interstate, but on the other side, I saw this terrible thing. I mean, 
thankfully it had a good a good ending. But I saw a senior adult couple do a U-turn and get onto this expressway going the wrong way. And I was just so shocked. They're going down the freeway the same way I'm going, but I'm on the opposite side. And they're going to hit head on if they don't get off. And I saw them take the next exit to get off of there. And so I was so relieved. But you know what I was doing? You won't believe it. I mean, call me a freak. Call me a radical if you want to. But I was blowing my horn. I was waving my arms. I was yelling as loud as I could because I didn't want to see that senior adult couple have a head-on collision. There's people out there spiritually that are just like that. Would you come to know Christ? Would you say, I've come to know Christ. I want to challenge you if you know him. Would you say, I want to help someone else that's on the outside to come on the inside of salvation? Thanks again for being with us today. I hope that this passage in Mark chapter 2 has been inspiring for you. I hope that maybe it's given you some ideas. But why don't we pray? Lord, thanks again for our friends that listen to Growing in Grace. I just pray that you would give all of us incredible insight into how we can also reach other people for Christ. There may be people all around us, I'm sure there are, who are still in darkness. We want to see them come into the light. We want to see them experience forgiveness of their sins, to know the love of the Father, to be in heaven in eternity uh, with us someday. And so, Lord, please help us to know how to reach other people. Thanks for your example, Lord. It's awesome. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, listen, have a great day. God bless you. This is a ministry of First Baptist Church located at 1700 Milam Street, Columbus, Texas.